invite you to turn with me uh, to the book of Numbers, uh, chapter 11, the text that was just read for us a bit ago, we'll be soaking in this morning, where we look at the topic that's quite familiar to us in our societies and in our homes, it's that of complaining, right? We're familiar with this, aren't we? It's from the time of the passage we're reading today, all the way through Jesus' day, all the way through today. Complaining by God's people is a very common theme throughout Scripture and throughout redemptive history. Now, the past few Sundays, we've examined how God brings uh, his people near to himself through the tabernacle, um, through priestly intercession and work, through the sacrificial offerings. God is about the business of bringing his people near to himself. See, God took his people from slavery in Egypt to freedom. He took them um, from death to life. And why did he do that, deliver his people? Why? So that they could be brought near to him. He said, I brought you from the land of slavery. I brought to bring, that word that Pastor Dave talked about last week, to bring. That's the word for offering or for sacrifice. When God brings a people out of slavery into freedom so that they may dwell with him to be brought near to him, he is creating a people who are living sacrifices, who dwell in his presence. Now, the problem with people living as, as living sacrifices is this. We tend to whine. We tend to complain. We tend to rebel. We tend to go wayward. See, before Moses and company uh, made it to Mount Sinai, the people were in the wilderness, and they were hungry. So God gave them manna and quail. And they begin to complain. Moses intercedes for them, and God provides for them. And soon the people complain. God provides after Moses prays, and the people complain. Numbers 11 takes place nearly one year after that account, almost to the day. The same incident, the same people, the same story is told again. They depart Sinai to enter a new world as a new people, and yet the old pattern of sin Remains the pattern that we all know so well. We'll find ourselves in the lives of the people in Numbers 11, but we will also find God's salvation for us. So, with that before us, would you please join me with a word of prayer? Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we're grateful that you do not leave us to our own devices, that you speak to us, that you draw us near through the living word who is your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Grant us now the gift of your Spirit to convict us of sin, to comfort us in our distress, and to draw us near to you through your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Numbers 11 is the image or a picture of sin in the lives of those who follow Jesus. James 1 defines sin this way. James says, each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. That's the progression of sinful desire to death in sin. Wayward desires that are, are nourished in the soul tend to spring forth. Wayward actions that corrupt body, soul, community, bringing forth death. We have corrupt desire. We have corrupt action. We have death. The living sacrifice of sin is death that leads to death. 
The living sacrifice of God is death that leads to life. The living sacrifice of sin is death that leads to death. The living sacrifice of God is death that leads to life. In Numbers 11, we encounter God's people who were freed from Egyptian slavery in the first year of a 40-year camping trip. I won't ask you to raise hands, but who finds that appealing? Right? There's some that are like, yeah, and there's some that are like, no. Right? 40 years of camping in a wilderness. And like the start of every camping trip, the people complain. Right? You're barely out of the driveway. The kids are crying. Mom and dad are already worn out just by preparations. And they're like, hey, we got 40 more years of this. So we have before us in Numbers 11, we have the complaint. We have a prayer. We have a provision. And we have a problem that persists. So let's begin with the complaint, should we? Chapter 11, verse 1 and following. The people complained in the hearing of the Lord about the misfortunes. When the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled and the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some outlying parts of camp. And some of you parents are like, that would be nice to hear about if we could do that with the complainers, right? Verse 2, then the people cried out to Moses and Moses prayed to the Lord and the fire died down. Verse 4, now the rabble was among them, that was among them had a strong craving. A strong desire. And the people of Israel wept again and said, oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. This is the complaint. Why is this complaint coming from the lips of the Israelites who have just witnessed God's miraculous deliverance? Well, they have amongst them the rabble there. Is what they're described as. They have a strong craving, a strong desire. And from that desire, when it's not fulfilled, they have a complaint leveled against God. The source of complaint is a strong desire, an overpowering desire. And what is it that we see them longing for? Variety, change of menu, meat to go with that manna. You know how desperate they are? They want vegetables. They wanted free food. It's, remember the fish and all the, the leeks and onions? It, it cost us nothing. Is there such thing as a free lunch? What did it cost them? Simply their freedom. Right? It's, free, it's a free lunch. God, thanks for the deliverance, but we like Leeks and onions. Look, the manna from heaven, it's miraculous. Who could deny that? An unending supply of flour for daily bread. On Monday, it's bread. On Tuesday, it's bread. Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, it's bread. But on Sunday, it's bread. Like when the schools give out those colorful menus at the beginning of the school year and each month, it would just say bread. Occasionally manna, but it was a lot, or occasionally quail or meat, but it was almost exclusively manna. So that they say to God and through to Moses in verse 6, but now our strength is dried up in this wilderness. There is nothing at all but this manna to look at. They don't even talk about eating it. They're just like, we're so fed up with manna. It's just we can't even look at it anymore. And yet that's all we have to look at. I mean, again, you know it's bad. They're, they're longing for Egypt. They're longing to go back to be enslaved. And they're longing for leeks and onions and garlic. The grumbling was against a dull, drab 
diet. And we can understand that. But why then is God so angry? If you look at the end of verse 1, when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled and the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some outlying parts of the camp. Verse 3, so the name of that place was called Tibera because the fire of the Lord burned among them. God, why is he so angry? Well, the New Testament warns us about this burning on the fringe. It says that God is a consuming fire. Where does the image of a consuming fire come from in the Bible? Let me just talk about that for the last few Sundays, haven't we? That we're warned of God's wrath here, that, that God's way of approaching him is through fire, isn't it? As we discovered last Sunday, it was for his people to bring near their offering to the altar. And what happened on the altar is that the, their, their sacrifice would be consumed in order that the worshiper as representative, uh, in, representative in that offering, that worshiper would then ascend to God's presence, a pleasing aroma to the God. The way to access God is through his prescribed means. And his means is a way of dying as that sacrifice in order to rise and ascend into his presence. That's the way that he had given for the Israelites to enter into his presence. But in sin, in this strong desire, what are they saying about that whole system? Thanks, but no thanks. We would rather go back to slavery and a free lunch. They forsake God's given way of approach, and it leads them to a different altar. They are indeed consumed as living sacrifices, but not as the redemption, but as the wrath of God poured out. The edges of the camp where the rabble dwell, fomenting their complaints, they become a living sacrifice, but does those absorbing God's wrath, not as a pleasing ascent. God makes it pretty clear as he talks to Moses in verse 20. He says, he talks about he'll provide manna or he'll provide quail or meat a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils. There you go. It's a lot of quail. Why? Because you have rejected the Lord who is among you and have wept before him saying, why did we come out of Egypt why did they come out of Egypt? Why did God do all this? So that they could dwell in his presence, that he could dwell in their presence. But they said, with this strong desire, let us go back to Egypt. This is the way of sin, always to go back to Egypt, to a bondage, to our desires, to our strong cravings. God is, in a sense, saying, as a result of fleshing out those desires, those cravings and your complaints, you are rejecting the Lord who is among you. You are rejecting the tree of life. You are rejecting the manna from heaven. You are rejecting the God who creates, who provides. And they're thinking, hey, Egypt wasn't so bad. We'd rather eat. Then what? The prodigal son is telling his father to get lost. They're saying we would prefer Egyptian bondage to freedom in our God. The Lord is among them in their camp. Their camp is like a tabernacle. They have access to the living God. But access is granted to God only in the way that he prescribes. These complaints reveal a, a corruption of nature in the rabble who are then consumed as unfit sacrifices. This is the image of God's wrath. The fire burns hot. And so the people cry out to Moses asking him to intercede on their behalf. So we have the complaint. 
And now we hear Moses' prayer, verses 10 and following. Moses heard the people weeping throughout the, their clans, everyone at the door of his tent, and the anger of the Lord blazed hotly, and Moses was displeased. Moses said to the Lord, Why have you dealt ill with your servant? Why have I not found favor in your sight, that you lay the burden of all this people on me? Verse 13, Where am I to get meat to give all this people? For they weep before me and say, Give us meat that we may eat. I am not able to carry this people alone. The burden is too heavy for me. We call this a prayer of lament, wouldn't we? It's interesting. We expect him to intercede for the people, but his initial response is what? The woman who you put here with me, right? Why, Lord? Why? I didn't conceive this people. Why is this burden on me? I mean, it's one thing to take your own family camping and your own kids, but imagine leading hundreds of thousands of people from place to place, from security to insecurity, from known to unknown wilderness. Like an exasperated and exhausted parent longing for relief, Moses prays a song of lament. First thing we note here is that he's not condemned for this prayer. Those complainers are condemned clearly. But here Moses is not condemned. His lament is acceptable in the sight of the Lord. The second thing we notice from Moses' prayer is that we feel viscerally the depth of his pain, the desire to escape even through death. Look at verse 15. If, God, you will treat me like this, kill me at once. If I find favor in your sight, that I may not see my wretchedness. And for those who have known these depths of sorrow, of pain, of overwork, overburden, asking God, where are you, God? Why this? Why now? How am I to go on? This burden is too much. If you won't do anything for me, then just end it. The band Arcade Fire sings the song of lament for our teenage generation today, saying, God, make me famous. If you can't, just make it painless. A chorus sung throughout our society, if not throughout the world. And we lament that this is, the, this is what Moses experiences, and many experience it with him. But God responds to his prayer, and he provides. Look at verses 16 and 17. Then the Lord said to Moses, Gather for me 70 men of the elders of Israel, who you know to be the elders of the people and officers over them. Bring them to the tent of meeting and let them take their stand there with you. I will come down, talk with you there. I will take some of the spirit that is on you and put it on them, and they shall bear the burden of the people with you, so that you may not bear it yourself alone. Now, prayer doesn't always work this way, does it? But here we have Moses interceding for the people and for his own sake, and God answers like that. He says, bring rulers along with you, and I will commission them to share the load with you. As the breath of the Spirit of God has blown through the sails of Moses' ship, so now God promises to breathe his spirit upon 70 others to share the load of leading God's people. God's provision has a form of salvation. God provides right away help for the load of leadership here. Moses' desire for friendship, for camaraderie, for co-laboring are approved by God, and he provides. 
not only for him, but he also provides for the desires of the people. Look at all the way down to verse 31. Then a wind from the Lord sprang up, and it brought quail from the sea and let them fall beside the camp. About a day's journey on this side, a day's journey on the other side. By the way, that's a long ways. That's a lot of quail. Around the camp, about two cubits above the ground. The people rose all that day, all night, all the next day, and gathered the quail. God provided meat, dietary variety. He provides quail, and he provides lots of it. We see God's provision as a form of salvation here. Moses is saved from the burden here. The people are saved from the, in their rebellion, and, and God gives them meat. But we also see that his provision can be a form of judgment as well. Look at verse 19. You shall not eat just one day or two days or five days or ten days or twenty days, but a whole month until it comes out at your nostrils and it becomes loathsome to you. Okay, that's an image that like every middle school boy is just going to love, right? The image of eating so much meat that it's coming out of your nostrils. Meat is good. But I'm not sure about meat that comes out of the mouth being good. It's a form of God giving the people over to their desires. Letting them go their own way. The fire that burns within them in their strong craving now consumes them. It's the way that Paul described God's wrath in Romans 1, where the, where the desire burns hot within a rebel or, or the rabble as described here. And Romans 1 says, the, what is the judgment of God? He what? He let them go their own way. He gives them over to the desire of their lust, their strong desires. God gave them up. A leprous fire that within them is consuming heart and mind is given full vent in the form of a complaint against God and against his provision. It's a rebellion against God. Now, our story begins with God's wrath burning at the fringes of the camp, and it ends with a plague. There's an inward corruption that is manifest in the flesh as a form of God's judgment. And here his provision of quail, of meat. In this provision, God is giving them over to their insatiable and rebellious hunger, their rebellion against him, stuffed with meat to the max so that it's oozing out of their nostrils. The thing about God's judgment here is that it reveals the end of sin, the end of gorging a soul on wayward craving or desires. And that end is sickness that leads to death. His judgment is just in giving the wicked the thing that they desire and the strong thing that they uh, long for here as it serves a warning for those bearing witness to these events. The rabble, those on the fringe of the camp are the ones consumed by fire, but many bear witness to the wrath of God here. A sin is pesky, isn't it? These desires don't just dissipate, don't just go away. The story of giving into a strong and wayward desire persists in our own stories, our own stories of sin. And as we look at the world around us, there could be tendency or temptation to mock those who think and live differently than us or sinfully, who want to ignore and silence the truth. Our prayer is for God to intervene, not to simply let us or others go our own Way. See, Moses was powerless to provide. He even confesses that, doesn't he? Moses was powerless to provide. In the same way, we are powerless 
to provide for a watching world. But we plead for a watching world on their behalf. Please, God, do not remove yourself from our midst. Do not let us go our own way. Intervene. Save us, we pray. Because we see the problem of this complaint and the strong desire leading into it, it's, it's persistent. The complaint is a rejecting of God and his way. The prayer is one of deliverance or for deliverance. And we see God's provision both for salvation and for judgment. But the problem persists. Look at, the, the, again, in verse 31, then a wind of the Lord sprang up and brought quail from the sea. In verse 33, while the meat was yet between their teeth, before it was consumed, the anger of the Lord was kindled against the people. The Lord struck down the people with a very great plague. What began with fire on the fringes ends with plague on the periphery. It's kind of a bummer, kind of a bad way to end a passage here. They've lamented, they've prayed, God's provided, and yet there are still the effects of sin ravaging God's people. Even in and through God's salvation, the effects of sin still taint our existence. Our very nature is corrupt in sin. Our wayward desires oppose God's word and his way, and we act according to those desires giving birth to sin, and the wages of sin is death. But we also see in the story of Israel that the way of salvation is also a type of death. There's also a fire that consumes. See, what's underneath, what's the motive of complaint? What, what is a person who's complaining trying to do? Are they trying to manipulate? Are they trying to control a person or situation? That we might move a person to give us what we want by annoying them to death, right? That's what complaint has at its heart. Complaining is the attempt to, to manipulate, to overpower another. When what is needed is, is trust. That in the wilderness, in the monotony of following God, in the monotony of his way, and in the mystery of God's will, there is a need to trust that his way is the way to life, even if it feels and is a way of death. It leads to life. We must die to the old self, to the old Adam. We must die to Egypt. Even though there's free lunch in sin, we must die our desire to feed that lust. All that we have studied in Israel's Passover and the Exodus, everything points to a dying in order to rise again. Approach to God is only through death. Think of the sacrifices burning up on the altar. And everything about the sacrificial system is about resurrection. Think that pleasing aroma, that barbecue that is shared with God and his people. Entrance into tabernacle, into God's covenant community, is a dying to self in order to rise in newness of life. Bringing sacrifice to the altar is a form of the worshiper dying in order to be consumed by God to enter his presence as a living sacrifice to commune in the holiness of his grace. But remember the hope in which God prescribed for the only way to approach him is the way through death. The only way is through death, or that we would rise anew in his presence. And in that resurrection life, we must walk in that newness of life. When Israel was freed from Egypt, it was through the water, wasn't it? It was through the judgment of God. 
They pass through death into life. And the way to walk in the wilderness is the same pattern to walk, in, walk through death in order to experience resurrection life. And yet what were the people wanting to do here? They were wanting to, to backtrack through, through Mount Sinai. They wanted to go back to the Red Sea. They wanted God to part the waters so they could go backwards and sit under God's judgment, God's wrath again as slaves in Egypt. And that's the same thing our desires of sin are for us. A desire to reject the God who has delivered us to dwell in the slavery of sin. But Paul writes this. He says, you are no longer slaves to sin. You've been bought with the price and you belong to God through Jesus Christ. We are no longer to live according to the flesh. Desires to return to Egypt. We are to live according to Christ. So he pictures sin as a desire to return to Egypt, to slavery, to death. And yet those pesky cravings still remain, don't they? Those pesky cravings still persist. Should I remind you that the story we read in Numbers 11 here happened almost verbatim, like one year from this chapter. Almost the same exact story was told just one year prior. And as we go on to the next few chapters, we'll see this story taking different shape, but it's the same Story. We still walk in the valley of the shadow of death, even though our resurrection life is secured in Christ. See, Israel had Moses to intercede on their behalf. But we have one greater than Moses. Our greater Moses, too, he also desired that God would take the cup of his wrath from him. Moses desired God to relieve him. And God heeded that. But our Moses, new Moses, Jesus, also pled with the Father, take this cup from me. And what was Jesus' response? Not my will but yours be done. And so he drinks the cup of God's wrath on behalf of his people. God did not give Jesus the same escape that Moses tasted. But in the same way, God does hear Moses' voice as he hears Jesus' voice today. So we have one better than Moses because Jesus ascended to the Father's right hand. And he sits at the Father's right hand and he lives to intercede for us. See, Jesus speaks on our behalf. Jesus has granted us also the Holy Spirit in the same way that, that, that God had given us portions of the Spirit to those 70 elders. So we have been given the Spirit of God. In the same way that the Spirit or wind of God blew the quail and the meat into their presence, so the same Spirit blows the breath of God in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So we who are the body of Christ are given the same Spirit to animate our souls. We are not left to our own devices, our own desires, or cravings. The Spirit is given that He might convict us of our sinful cravings and grant us strength to not only resist, but to replace those cravings with a desire for Christ, His Word, His way. We are given God's Spirit through God's living word, who is Jesus Christ. And we are to be that living word to a watching world. We are a kingdom of priests, a community of prophets. Most hopeful of all in this story that is there, no, there is no plague of sin, no fire of God's wrath that will be poured out upon us because it was poured out upon Jesus Christ. This is vital because we have those wayward desires and strong cravings, desires so powerful, pulling us to act 
out of accord with God's desires and his way. See, we too as followers of Jesus can be terrific complainers. We too will act. We too will act in our wayward desires, resulting in the hurt of others, in the neglect of those in need, in a further desire to see our enemy's demise, to have the glory of God given to others. We will complain, we will rebel, look longingly at the Egypts of our lives. And all the while, Jesus Christ calls, I am the bread of life. I am the manna from heaven. Come and eat. Come and drink. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Those desires don't just melt away and disappear. They must be replaced by a superior pleasure. And that pleasure is Jesus Christ who says, eat of me and you will be satisfied. So, fellow complainers who give in to our wayward desires and lustful cravings, may the Lord be merciful to not leave us nor forsake us, nor to hand us over to our strong and wayward desires. But by his spirit, may he grant us courage and strength to look to Christ, who is our living bread, and may we partake to the full. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we're grateful for this, your living word, that Jesus has come as our living bread to strengthen and provide for us. As we eat of him now, O oh Lord, in this supper to come, would you strengthen and uphold us that we might depart as the crumbs of the bread of life, that others might see our lives, taste the goodness of Christ, give glory and honor to him as we turn our lives to you day in and day out. We pray all these things in the name of Christ. Amen.